Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the FO News Show. My name is Kale Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. Jackson, one week into this playoff. Exciting stuff. We're really in the thick of it now. In the thick of the coaching hunt as well. How you doing, bud? I'm just trying to get myself to Saturday, if we're being honest here. I mean, this is a great way to break up the, re- the week, but... We have four exciting games to get to this weekend. I feel like divisional weekend and maybe the Thunder has been a little bit stolen by the six round wildcard weekend, but divisional weekend was always the one I got most excited about as a kid because it's still the wall to wall games from start to finish, but you're getting all the one seeds back involved. Home crowds really juiced for these rounds of the playoffs. The weather really is turning at this point. It's, it's good old fashioned style playoff football this weekend. I couldn't be more stoked about it. Sure is. However, we got some coaching talk to get to first. Let's start with the most recent news. The Los Angeles Chargers. Open up first half. 27 nothing. 27-7 at one point. Couldn't hold on to that lead. End up losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Comes at a cost. The Los Angeles Chargers. And fired offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and quarterbacks coach Shane Day. Lombardi was with the team two years, hired alongside Brandon Staley, and a bit of a meteoric rise in that offense, a huge leap for them. However, major step back, fall from fourth to 19th in offensive DVOA, Scoring falls off as well. Quarterbacks coach Shane Day also out of the building. Jackson, where do the Chargers go from here? Uh, hopefully to a better offensive coordinator. <laughs> Am I right, Kale? Uh, I don't, I'm I don't, I'm not gonna pretend to have my finger on the pulse of like the hottest OC candidates, but this was a necessary move a hundred percent. And I think the biggest reason this happened was someone needed to take the fall for like the dip in production for Justin Herbert. Cause we watch Justin Herbert play every weekend and it's not like he looks any worse than he's been, at least from a talent perspective, but then you go to the numbers and Justin Herbert sets a career high in completion percentage this year. Not necessarily a good thing when that's coupled with career lows in DYAR, DVOA touchdowns and yards per attempt, all of which were way down this year. He's 18th in passer DVOA. I don't think any of us believe he's the 18th best uh, passer in the league. Uh, and you see the talent. You look at the uh, the pass chart, which I'm sure uh, Kale has been. Kale loves pass charts. So I think he even wants to pull it up at some point during this segment. But the pass chart for Herbert in this game is ridiculous. He's just never throwing the ball downfield. They were the kings of passes short of the sticks on third and fourth down all season long. So this, it was time to get rid of Joe Lombardi if it wasn't going to be Staley himself. Obviously, this kind of puts them out of the running for like a Sean Payton unless Staley somehow still gets fired. But changes are coming, and I think that can only be for the better. Yeah, I mean, listen, Jackson preempted me on it. But look at this pass chart from the Jacksonville game. So much of Lombardi's offense was based on just moving the ball short. So much of this offense is based on having a running back that can't run and really only runs, you know, out routes and screens. 
given the weapons that you have, like you have a 30 year old Keenan Allen, who's the main motion man on all of your plays, limiting all of his downfield play as a slot receiver. Like there's other mistakes in here. You don't have Mike Williams in this game, but like, like there was just a usage problem. Justin Herbert has one of the best arms in football and you're containing the vast majority of, of his throws inside six yards Uh, for the skill set that, the Chargers had in their offensive roster and given what they should have like had been able to do last year. It's just a bizarre, bizarre offense that Lombardi ran. I don't, I don't, I don't understand why it got so conservative and why it stayed so conservative, but it just didn't make sense for this team to continue on. I, I thought there was going to be originally when I saw the hire, uh, last year, I thought we were going to get a bit of, you know, like mid-2010s Drew Brees offense where he's actually striking downfield and there's some pretty good air yards under his pass. But there's still short game, but you kind of get late Drew Brees where everything is, you know, five-yard slants and comeback routes and, you know, you're not really targeting downfield. You're kind of just marching. You're going pass heavy, but it's really – almost a neft pass heavy. Like, you know, you can still pretty much cover as a defense cover most of the same way. Never made sense uh, why this team kept operating the way they did. Uh, and now it's time to move on. I'm really interested to see who this team ends up going with at coordinator because that's the big thing. Staley was able to hold on to his job despite blowing a 20-point lead. Uh, because in that first half, he had a really strong defensive scheme. Offensive scheme has never really been strong this year. It'll be interesting to see how Staley handles next season. Kind of like definitely on the hot seat because his job was definitely in jeopardy coming out of this game. But more importantly, I'm excited to really get a look at a, you know, year four Justin Herbert heading into a very impactful contract year in a new offense. It'll be fascinating to see. If you're Brandon Staley right now, you're praying that Sean Payton takes one of these jobs that he's interviewed for. Cause if he doesn't, if he kind of continues to do the wait and see thing and he's hovering in the background, maybe hoping that your job opens up, you're not feeling very good going into this season, but Sean Payton surprises people, takes the Broncos, maybe the Texans job to work with, you know, a quarterback that is in the ilk of Drew Brees who he thinks he can revive or to work with a young quarterback that he thinks he can take to the top. That's what you're hoping for. Cause that's going to be a cloud hanging over Staley's job all year. If uh, Peyton stays on the market, but obviously this is still a vote of confidence in him to some extent, because you're saying it, it's like Ron Rivera in Washington. You're saying, okay, you fire the offensive coordinator who came in with you. Now it's all on you. No more excuses. Get the job done next year. One person Staley will have to look over his shoulder for next year has taken himself off the table for head coaching candidate jobs this year. Detroit Lions find out that offensive coordinator Ben Johnson will be coming back to the team in 2023. He was interviewing for jobs with the Carolina Panthers, uh, as well as already having conducted uh, an interview with the Indianapolis Colts. And absolutely 
revolutionary OC for the Detroit Lions. Took him from 25th in the league in points per game to 26 and a half. DVOA even better, a jump from 29th to 5th. Gets a top five season out of Jared Goff. Has a running back lead the league in scoring. Has Amon Ross St. Brown put up the first top 10 receiver by Detroit Lion since Khalif Raymond, I believe, in 2019. Uh, you watch TJ Hawkinson walk and you find multiple replacements behind him. Johnson, just an incredible offensive uh, offensive coordinator and massively, massively important to the rebuild of the Detroit Lions in the effort to restore the roar. Jack's big win getting this guy back into the building all around, but he is going to be a hot head coaching candidate entering 2023. Here's how you really know Ben Johnson wants to be there. He was scheduled to travel to Carolina today to interview there. Ben Johnson from Charleston, South Carolina. Where'd he go to college? University of North Carolina. That is a Carolina boy through and through. Probably had a great chance to get that job. He said, nope, don't want the job in my hometown or my home area of the country. Going to sit this one out. He's given interviews about how much he loves working with Dan Campbell, how much he feels bad if he lets Dan Campbell down in any way while doing his job, even if Campbell will never criticize him for it. Uh, I mean, he's 36. He's still got plenty of years ahead of him to be a head coach. Thinks they're building something special. Who am I to disagree? Completely agree they're building something special. I will issue a brief correction, Kel. Jamal Williams did, did lead the league in rushing touchdowns. You know who led the league in total touchdowns? Austin Eckler, the back we just trashed and said doesn't do enough on first and second down, which is true, but you're still getting all sorts of touchdown production out of him. So return to the last story, some, uh, some more things for the offensive coordinator to figure out in Los Angeles. But boy, what a, what a coup for Detroit. I mean, this is something that you could have never dreamed of a few years ago, or even last year when they were starting the year out, 0-10, 12 something crazy like that. I mean, big, big win. I think the biggest change uh, that I sort of recognize is, you know, you look at social media sentiment, it's a small thing to look at, but it can be important in a digital age. Amon Ross St. Brand last night posts a story on Instagram teary-eyed smiling emoji with just the caption if you know you know has to be a good sign for Detroit when their biggest offensive skill position players are fired up about the fact that their guy is staying local and they get a full year Jamison Williams next year who I'm not going to say like he showed out in his limited time this year but caught 140 plus yards for a guy coming off of a, you know, ACL tear on a rookie season showing up late, I understand it's like not the, you know, it's not a volume impact, but getting that guy on some design plays and showing off some of his athleticism, like it's just a taste. It's just a little hors d'oeuvre for what's going to come and uh, for what's going to come in 2023. But like yeah, just showing catch. off that skill set, pretty good. He had, he had one catch. Just gonna just gonna say it. One catch. On the season? One catch on the season. It was a 41-yard touchdown. It was his only catch. I am shocked by that. On nine targets. 
He really and he had a forty yard run. That really oh no, he had a forty yard rush too. Yeah, uh, but, but that really two, shocked two me that that's how much it stood out in my mind. Again, a little yeah. more dirt. Not getting a full Nathan's. You're getting a little pick and He played. He played 25% of the snaps against Chicago. That was his highest percentage of the season. Like, he really hasn't been worked in all that much yet. So, let's, a let's be a little patient on the Jay Willie train. You're getting a little taste. Guys are taking themselves off the table. Jobs have opened up. But jobs are finally getting filled. Let's start in Cleveland as they hire Jim Schwartz. As their defensive coordinator. Brief stint as a head coach in the aforementioned Detroit. His most prominent roles probably come as a defensive coordinator. Won a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles during his five-year tenure there. As defensive coordinator also served under the Buffalo Bills. Coming into a defense with a lot of weapons. Miles Garrett. Grant Delpit, uh, Denzel Ward, but a big drop-off in production. With that kind of roster, you expect a lot more production. They don't finish that hot. A 3.9% defensive DVOA, 23rd in the league. Most recently, Schwartz came from the Titans, who finished 19th in defensive DVOA, but led the league in defensive rushing. Jackson, your thoughts on Schwartz to Cleveland? I I don't hate it. I think that's a big name for one. I mean, to get someone who's been, you know, a five-year head coach in the league, a Super Bowl champion as a defensive coordinator to come in and be your defensive coordinator, that certainly carries some gravitas with it. Uh, I know this was also a job that Brian Flores was reportedly interviewing for. So to get the job over a Brian Flores, who obviously has been a head coach as well and was a successful defensive coordinator for two separate organizations, uh, they clearly must think that Schwartz has the secret sauce to some extent. Uh, I think mainly where this hire may come from is hoping that they can get way, way more out of the defensive tackle position. Jordan Elliott, Taven Bryan, kind of the two main guys starting on the interior for the Browns. Uh, And they're really bad against the rush in general, 28th in rush defense DVOA. Whereas everywhere you look that Schwartz is coached, he's had at least one first team all pro defensive tackle, whether that was Albert Hainsworth way back in his Titans days and Dominic Sue when he was the head coach of the Lions, Marcel Darius in Buffalo, Fletcher Cox in Philly. There's always been a stud D tackle. And I think people are, or I think the Browns at least, are giving Schwartz a lot of credit for that and saying, you take our sort of subpar defensive tackle situation and make something of it. Maybe take one in the draft as well at some point. So from that perspective, you got to like the hire. You got to like the hire indeed. I. It just gets to me where it gets to a point where you have the players. I understand guys like – uh I believe uh, JOK, Jeremiah Wilson, uh, Cromo, was out for stretches of this season. Like, I understand that the Cleveland Browns defense was a bit banged up, but you get a roster like this with the amount of talent on it at a base level. Like, your stars are locked in. Now it's just a matter of, you know, building out the rest of this team. And you look at where he comes from in Tennessee, 
not the best secondary, but getting a decent amount of guy, uh, decent amount out of guys who don't have a ton of prominence. And that front seven is the star-studded part. That front seven is what generated such a vaunted uh, rush defense. It'll be really interesting to see how a guy like Schwartz elevates, you know, lesser talent around him while maximizing the names on this roster. I'm really excited for it just because I think with, you know, the expectations for this Cleveland team, you kind of need a veteran guy like Schwartz and just looking at the names on this roster or like in the league that are currently interviewing for jobs, there aren't many opportunities outside of like, you know, I, I guess you can't really hire Dan Quinn away unless his contract's up, but you know, outside of a handful of guys that are still available, like you're not getting that kind of veteran talent for a coordinator position on the open market. So I think it works really well. Yeah. Dan Quinn's hiring for head He's interviewing for head coaching jobs too. So he's not taking another coordinator job unless something crazy happens. Indeed. Yeah. I think, I think you just have to be excited too. Cause he's, he's an energy guy. He, you know, not to say controversial, but like you remember the handshake flare up with Jim Harbaugh, like he's always been a fiery guy. Uh, and I think that attitude like translates to a veteran team with some stars on it uh, who expect better out of themselves uh, and I think as, as you mentioned, like there's a lot of talent in this secondary that, I mean, 16th isn't horrible for a defensive pass DVOA, but I still think you can get more of it when you have borderline all pro guys like Ward and Delpit back there. Uh, so just all around, like kind of the chip on the shoulder mentality that I think Schwartz brings to your locker room is going to be of crucial importance to this Browns team. Moving on to Arizona where we had our first general manager hire, Tennessee Titans director of player personnel, Monty Ossenfort. He's a former director of college scouting for the New England Patriots, was a part of four Super Bowls there across his entire tenure, which is broken up over into two stints. Also in the scouting department for the Texans and Vikings, what I find fascinating about this hire, Jackson, it's not the best track record if you're looking exclusively from a college standpoint. He is able, Austin Ford is really able to hit on some like, you know, low, late round talent. He had a lot of success in Tennessee landing undrafted free agents like Nick Westbrook, Akine, and Tier Tart. He had a similar impact in New England, the fact that they have an undrafted free agent coming nearly every year. You have Jacoby Myers. Again, like I said, he's also good in late rounds, finding guys like a Jawan Bentley in New England, a, uh, you know, maybe in Atlanta, Robert, a, uh, even in Tennessee, you have a Christian Fulton, uh, tight end Chagos in Mokonkwo. Look at the top end of his drafts, Jackson. You got like a Dominique Easley, Malcolm Brown, uh, Cyrus Jones, Nikhil Harry, Jawan Williams. You go to Tennessee, you got Isaiah Wilson, Caleb Farley, Traylon Burks. It's a really interesting track record. It's a lot of like you're nailing stuff on the back end, which is what GMs usually value 
or like what GMs are usually valued for, like finding those, you know, playable pieces of talent late in drafts. But when you're burning top end capital like that, not finding good players, it gets, I don't really know how to judge this. Cause I like, I don't know. Like, how much do you blame? How much do you blame a GM for that? You know, like if somebody goes that high in the draft, it's, it seems like for the most part, it's acknowledged by other organizations as well, that that guy is like, you know, a first round type of talent. I mean, you get exceptions to the rule. You get the Titans fist pumping when Justin Jefferson falls past Jalen Rager, you get Sean McVay sneering at the Cole strange pick uh, a couple beers deep last year. But I feel like when, when those guys don't work out, like, yeah, obviously the blame is going to be and, and probably rightfully so put on the GM. But it's like once once you get them in the building, it's it's also on the coaches to make it work out because all these guys have talent. Like Nikhil Harry had talent, just never, never could stay on the field, never could like develop chemistry with any of the quarterbacks the Pats had. Like it's not like you just completely fire the GM into the sun for missing on first round picks. Belichick missed on first round picks for years there. With all due respect, Jackson, I, I pretty wholly disagree. Just the track record, like it's 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 one thing to bet on, you know, a couple guys here and there with either injury problems or like that are boomer bust talents. But when you have such a consistent track record of guys falling short of their evaluation in those top end positions, a, a Consistent level of, you know, starting from Dominic Easley all the way up to Traylon Burks, where you're betting on either injury prone guys or you're betting on guys with like specific skill sets to fill immediate needs that don't necessarily work out. You have like at some point there's a common denominator, you know, if you're doing it across two teams, especially like there has to be questions raised about the evaluation aspect of those top end prospects. You can recognize the fact that they have actually hit on late guys, so there's like some competence in the talent evaluation level. But with such a consistent track record of not being able to hit on top players, there does have to be some questions raised on the fact on the part of the GM. I mean, the Dominique Easley one's pretty rough because a Austin Fort wasn't even fully the director of college scouting yet for the Pats. He was promoted to that in 2014, and as we mentioned, he won three Super Bowls with the Pats in his stint there. So, if you're missing on high rounders, I get it. They also had high rounders taken away from them in those years, thanks to Flategate. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Traylon Burks. We'll see how that one works out. Still, I still have a lot of high hope for Traylon Burks, uh, and was certainly good in a lot of the games that he was able to be on the field for fully understand what you're saying. Um, I'm not like trying to say like you don't need to hit on your high round picks as a GM, but I think this is a little bit of a case of circumstance for me where it's like, you're betting on the fact that he can continue to find those late round guys. And you're saying like, okay, even if the track record wasn't great, it's like enough extenuating circumstances and a small enough sample size to where, like we think the process is still good and we just think that you're going to be able to kind of fill enough needs. Like the, the, the Cardinals are so thin, right? Like they're going to need to bring in guys in every round of the draft and UDFAs and hit on all of them. They're, so like you need, they're you need also everything. pretty thin because they keep missing on top guys themselves. 
that they keep spending cap either capital on like linebackers that don't really pan out or, you know, sending a first round pick to get Hollywood Brown of all receiving talent. Well, yeah. I mean, they're firing first round picks. I mean, well, they didn't, they didn't give up first round picks for Kyler Murray, but when you use first rounders on quarterbacks in back-to-back years, you're going to be a little bit devoid of star talent in other places on the roster. That's just how it's going to be. Like you're basically punting on Josh Rosen after year one. Okay. You could have just as easily taken a great defensive tackle or a great left tackle. Like there are so many things you can do with those early round picks. And then, yeah, they just keep converting that capital into what they hope is star talent, whether that's New Hopkins, Hollywood Brown, et cetera. So it's, it's time to like hit the reset button and start building out holistically. Moving on, the Titans have already found their replacement, not only for Austin Fort, uh, but the man who hired him. Titans hire Ran Carthon? Uh, Ran Carthon. Carthon. Uh, the former 49ers director of player personnel also spent time as the director of pro personnel for the St. Louis slash Los Angeles Rams after a brief playing period. Now, this is a hire I genuinely like, uh, especially on the pro end. I understand he'll have to probably like it with his with his focus on pro. Niners have had a really interesting uh, series of. Uh, collegiate hires, uh, consistently finding pieces. You know, you hit on Debo Samuel. You hit on multiple running backs. You bet big on Trey Lance, which we can get into. Uh, you're also finding guys like Talanoa Ufanga. But the Niners are also a team that consistently churn up sort of, not necessarily like veteran offshoots, but like have consistently been able to replenish their wells in a similar way to the, you know, late aughts, early 2010s Patriots with like, you know, trading for veterans that haven't worked out on teams, making moves for free agents in like wave two and wave three of the NFL draft. Like this is a deep, deep roster of talent. We're seeing it unfold in the playoffs now. I personally love this hire for Tennessee. I think this is a great, way to continually you know refresh the well replenish the talent on your roster and if you already have like a pretty good core defensive talent bringing in the guy who helped build this 49ers defense is about as good of a job as you can do should be mentioned as well that uh, we love this hire for the 49ers because even though they're losing someone as talented as Rand Carthon Thanks to Rooney Rule incentives, the Niners received two third-round picks for Carthon's departure. So that is nice. That's a, that's a nice way to replenish your own well uh, on the way out. Uh, but getting back to the Titans, uh, Monty Austin Ford also interviewed for this job. Uh, he did not get it. The Titans went with the outside candidate. Uh, we, we talked about when they fired John Robinson, uh, ownership. The Adams family was very much looking to make a splash with this hire said, thanks, John, for the job you've done, but we're, we're, we're looking bigger here. Um, they're, they're actually 0-5 also since they fired their GM. So 
couldn't come at a better time, time to get this thing uh, turning in the right direction. We like, you know, kind of the, the 49ers mentality paired up with Mike Frabel. Like you very much got like winning mentality, veteran mentality, guys who have been in winning organizations for a long time. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if you're going to hit on not just like amateurs, but bringing in veterans like the Niners have done for years, uh, whether that's Eric Armstead, uh, Charles O'Menohue's come into town and done a really good job. Um, like, yeah, they just continue to finally Emmanuel Mosley. These, these guys all come in with, with different pedigrees from other organizations and do a heck of a job to Sean Gibson's even been really good this year. Kale, 11th year out of Wyoming, 32 years old. Uh, and all of a sudden to Sean Gibson's playing at a really high level at the safety position. I'm, I'm genuinely excited about this Tennessee Titans team next year for the first time in a long time. Uh, in the sense that, you know, I feel like you've always found a way to like outperform in a bad division, you know, talk about the Titans winning that one seed in 2021, uh, giving the Bengals a bit of a path. Uh, if you're able to like, it, it, it's very contingent on what they do at the uh, offensive coordinator role, but given this kind of hire in the front office, I'm I'm really excited to see what they can build out. Absolutely. I mean, I think you you just continue to like stockpile assets down the road. The Titans are obviously a team that, you know, they traded AJ Brown, so they'll continue to get assets in return for that. Um, and they have a lot of cap space because again, they didn't sign AJ Brown. Uh certainly be interesting to see like what becomes of the quarterback situation. And that dictates a lot of what's going to go on. Uh, but Hey, we've got, we've got movement in the right direction uh, for the Tennessee organization. Jackson, speaking of movement, before we get to our next uh, story, we've got some late breaking that I'd like to cover. We have not one, but two potential offensive coordinator candidates staying in their respective roles. Tom Pelissero of NFL Network just announced that Dolphins pass game quarter and coordinate, uh, quarterback coach Daryl Bevel has told the Jets and commanders he is going to stay with the Miami Dolphins. In addition, according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Matt Canada is expecting to return as the Steelers' offensive coordinator. Two fascinating moves. For respective franchises, I personally with all like Bevel. With all due respect to Daryl Bevel, he's not he's not the big story out of those two. I, listen, Jackson, I recognize I was going to let some build go, but I get it. Let me finish, let me just finish by saying I liked him. I liked uh, Bevel a lot as a uh, potential uh, OC candidate for the Jets in replacing Lafleur because I really liked what he did in the first half of Miami. That being said, the big story here, Matt Canada stays. I am fascinated by this, Jackson. You look at the historical DVOA for Pittsburgh. I recognize that given what he had, you know, given to the franchise, you got to stay with an ailing Ben Roethlisberger and ride him into the sunset. But the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, Jackson, has not – been great this is 
prior to this year, three straight years of bottom 10 player worse, 31st, 22nd, and 25th in offensive DVOA. This year with Canada's OC, 18th, not a ton better. You've got a rotational system at quarterback. You're not really striking downfield. Your arguably best receiver on the roster, George Pickens, is essentially only making like NFL street level catches and like only doing acrobatics uh, to catch balls. Like he doesn't, he's not a heavily relied on receiver. Got an interesting situation in the run game where you go down in efficiency there from last season. Interesting move, in my opinion, to see Canada retain this job. That's uh, that's an understatement. Yeah, I think uh, when we talked about offensive coordinators who we thought were getting fired throughout the season, it was pretty much Joe Lombardi and Matt Canada one and two. Uh, the Steelers don't really fire coaches. That's sort of just been their MO as an organization for a long time. They they don't fire head coaches. They not that they refuse to, but typically don't fire assistant coaches either. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty surprised by this. You look up and down at like situationally what this Pittsburgh offense does. Okay, they're terrible on first down, 26 and first down DVOA. Pretty bad on third and fourth down as well, 18th and 18th in each of those situations. The only thing pretty much that they're good at is a third and fourth down rush DVOA. They're seventh. Now, I'm just going to chalk that up to Najee Harris being a freight train and being able to run through guys on third and fourth down. But like, they're pretty situationally bad at everything. And I think that speaks not only to a lack of you know, overall offensive talent slash rookie quarterback, learning a system, uh, taking his time to, to gel with the offensive players throughout the season. But like, that's a play calling issue when you really are not situationally good at any down and distance. Yeah. It can't be a great, it can't be a great position to be in. Certainly not. Uh, and some of that, you know, well, you can maybe hang some of it on Pickett and, you know, some of his shortcomings as a prospect, uh, namely in the arm department. You got to put a lot of that on the play car. And you can also doubly put it on Canada because he rose up the ranks as a quarterback's coach. So he's doubly impacting Pickett's role. Uh, Jackson, yeah, I, mean, I think the growth you saw from Pickett towards the end of the season – uh, I mean, if that doesn't happen, there's no way he's coming back. Uh, and I think a lot, that, elaborate on the growth aspect of it. Like, right. like, is it just a timing thing? Is it a Windows thing? Is it like an actual like, you know, expanding the playbook thing? What is like? What did you see in terms of uh, growth from Pickett toward the end? I the saw game? fourth quarter comebacks. I saw him in back to back weeks. I saw tight window throws on those game winning drives. I obviously think that they need to be scoring more than 10 and 13 points in the game up to that point. But I think when you prove that you can hang in there and take a beating throughout the game and, and win games late, then obviously they end up winning their last three and almost making the playoffs. Like I think, well, obviously Pickett's going to keep the starting job for next year, but that was kind of the encouragement that I wanted to see that I, you know, it's not like Kenny Pickett was the worst quarterback I've ever seen throughout the season, but you're throwing more interceptions than you are touchdowns, your yards per target are way down. Like that was the sign that I needed to be like, okay, there's, there's a little bit of something there. There's some, uh, some clutch factor, some, some attitude, like Kenny Pickett's got a little bit of something here. Uh, before we continue anything on Bevel staying in Miami. 
Uh, not really. I, I like. I I think that's it's good for Miami. I when you have an, a head coach who's a play caller that does like make it a little bit more interesting as to what the offensive coordinator like how much they're actually controlling because you know that that's the Mike McDaniel offense that they're running. It's not much like what Daryl Bevel was running in Seattle with Russell Wilson ten years ago. Uh, but veteran guy who knows offensive talent good to pair like one of those veteran coaches with a young first time head coach. I think so. I, I like the continuity there. It's it's I think a good hire in this or like a good retention. Cause the two things that Miami, like the storyline headed into this off season is that Miami for, you know, two thirds of the season at one of the most explosive pass offenses in the league. And you saw a massive leap in play from your quarterback that had admittedly a ton of question marks on him. And now you keep your pass game coordinator and you keep your quarterbacks coach. That is, uh, you know, keeping that, keeping that guy in house who, you know, a lot of credit will go to McDaniel, but who's at least partially responsible for this. Good move. Speaking of retention, you talked about last week, there was a little bit, uh, you know, question marks surrounding Los Angeles Rams head coach, Sean McVay. There was some speculation of stepping away from the game. Uh, There were some signs of him potentially stepping away from the game by telling his staff uh, to be open and actively searching for new jobs. Turns out Sean McVay will return to the Los Angeles Rams in 2023. A major retention because it looked like according to Jordan Rodriguez that it was it was all or nothing in 2023 the two main plans for this Rams team were a treat this like it's 2021 go all in for a one-year boomer bust thing or if McVeigh leaves Les Snead could easily just as aggressively go the other direction and start Really putting the tank on this thing. Got to be good for Rams players and Rams fans alike that they didn't go in the latter direction and that McVay will be back to coach this team in 2023. Been a confusing couple weeks in the Rams organization. You touched on the head coaching piece of it. Uh, We talked about uh, last week, I can't remember the names because I should have the outline pulled up, but the offensive coordinator jumping shit midseason to head to Tennessee or to head to Kentucky, the college, not the Tennessee Titans, obviously. Uh, So that's, that's a sign that like, there was certainly a lot of uncertainty going on in the organization throughout the season, not just in the past couple weeks, because he left in week 13. And now we have uh, Jalen Ramsey tweeting midweek last week that if this was it, you know, what a great run it was in LA. Uh, You have Aaron Donald putting in his Twitter bio momentarily He's a former NFL defensive tackle before taking it out. Uh, there's so much to still figure out with this team for the remainder of the offseason. Who's coming back? Who's coming? Who's going? Uh, and and Ramsey and Donald, uh, you know, put them in a group with Matt Stafford, like figuring out the future for those three guys is the biggest piece. But you got your coach back. He didn't jump ship to go to Thailand and hang out with Cliff Kingsbury. He's still around. Uh, so now you can look towards – building towards next season and not outright tanking. Uh, Cause again, you don't have your first round pick this year. So might as well try to win games. 
if there was ever going to be a, uh, you know, when last offseason, or was it last offseason or two years ago? Time is a time is an endless malaise of washing all together. Uh, whenever Rodgers and Devontae Adams did the whole last ride thing, uh, last dance thing. Oh, yeah. That was uh, pre last season. That should just be the 2023 Rams. Like that, like it really should just be all or nothing because I don't know how much longer uh, they can keep doing the scar, uh, the stars and scrubs model uh, without replenishing the well a little bit in terms of draft picks, uh, if only to use as further capital for uh, future trades. Uh, but they've got the guys in place now. You've got there, there's some further speculation, Jackson. This just popped into my head. Al Robinson apparently has not taken well to his offseason surgery, and there is some speculation about uh, his availability or willingness to play for next year. So that's a big contract you've got on books that might not work out well uh, or has some further question marks onto it. So there really is a sense of uh, desperation feels too strong a word, but uh, an urgency uh, to being competitive immediately next year and a sort of fine excuse me a sort of finite timeline in that urgency where after next year you gotta wonder how much this team has left in the tank before really going to restock the shelves yeah i mean if you have an offense next year i mean take Allen robinson out of it but if you have an offensive skill group built around cooper cup cam Akers, tyler higby like there's much worse situations around the league so, you know, you bring back a healthy Matt Stafford to spread the ball around to those guys, like there's going to be points in that offense. Maybe they're not going to be top of the league, but there's, there's going to be points. I think it comes down to what do you do with the O-line and who's coming back on the defensive side of the ball? If it's Ramsey and Donald and a bunch of other guys, then you might be all right. Bobby Wagner, second team all pro this year. So there's talent there, even if they are, as you mentioned, extremely thin. Uh, but if you're losing Donald Ramsey or both, then you're going to have to start really, you know, clipping at the margins to try and fill out a defense that can keep you in games because those guys are superstars. Wagner, Wagner might have gotten second team All Pro by name recognition. Um, <laughs> that's a leading the league in tackles, did he not? I mean, he's pretty dang good. No, he's not leading the boombox. He led. He led. He was leading or second in total points saved the linebacker position too. So it's not like he's just name recognition only. He had a great season. Moving on to the head coaching, Jackson. You still have Meetings who see a head coaching hire. Five open available positions. Arizona Cardinals, Carolina Panthers, Denver Broncos, Houston Texans, Indianapolis Colts. Vision becomes a little bit clear with the Cardinals having a GM in Monty Ford who will help in the head coaching hunt. The rest of these pretty wide open. Jackson, where do you want to start breaking these? Yeah, I think, I think we got a little team by team here um, because we have the lists and, you know, our viewers can see them on screen during this segment as well. We had the lists of who is interviewing for what job. So I think, you know, maybe it's just alphabetical order. A for Arizona. Um, who do we think is taking That's that Cardinals cool. job, Kale? Feels like Frank Reich to me. 
Monty Osenfort's big quote was uh, pretty much uh, paraphrasing, but leave your egos at the door. We don't have room for egos here. Uh, your biggest talent is your quarterback, Frank Reich, quarterback's coach, quarterback-centric guy, was kind of the whole thing in Indy. Understand that the track record didn't necessarily pan out there with constantly going with the veteran guys, but if you're looking for a sort of, you know, a coach that's going to emphasize, you know, a high level of decorum, some maturation, uh, and also focus heavily on the quarterback position. I think it's Frank Reich. And I think they kind of want to continue to go offensive because your biggest resource is your quarterback. I understand there's usually some oscillation where like some ebbs and flows where and an offensive guy doesn't work out. You go defense, but I think they kind of want to keep on the offensive side just because there's such a big emphasis on making sure Kyler's the guy. You sign all those guys, you sign, you know, your big three of Steve Wilkes, uh, not Steve Wilkes, uh, Steve Kime, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, to those extensions through 2027. You make the commitment to those guys. There's only one left in Murray. Got to make sure he's the one that hits. I think they stick offensive. I think they go a quarterback-centric guy. I think Frank Reich's it. I don't hate that. I, I sort of had this, like, sneaky sneaky inclination when I first thought about this question about, like, them going defensive because there's, there's talent to like on the defensive side of the ball, but they're also putrid up front and could really use someone to stiffen up that front. They're getting that top three draft pick and can probably take whoever they want, whether that's a D-tackle or an edge rusher, so – wouldn't mind like a Brian Flores hire for them or Ryan's to be Ryan's if you can get your hands on him because he's interviewing for every team on this list. But I'm probably going to lean Reich as well, just for all the reasons you enumerated and be interested to see if like a Mike Kafka ends up interviewing for this job as well. Uh, Cause we don't know if these lists are complete. We know Kafka's interviewing for two other teams on the list, but uh, there's, you know, other offensive names that are out there. Shane Steichen, another one where, you might consider the Cardinals as being in the market for those guys. Let's move on to Carolina, Jackson. Similar head coaching candidates, Reich, D'Amico Ryans, Jim Caldwell, Steve Wilkes is re-interviewing the aforementioned Mike Kafka. There's some more names in there. Who do you like Carolina to hire? This is kind of weird, but like when Matt Rule got hired, uh, I said Shane Steichen, and I think the odds were like plus 750 at the time uh, when we did it in the FO staff picks. So just for whatever reason, like enjoying the fit, uh, Shane Steichen, a guy who uh, would be a first-time head coach, obviously, uh, 37 years old, like a lot of like a young offensive-minded guy. You don't necessarily know who your quarterback's going to be, and you've seen Shane Steichen's ability to elevate the play of a running quarterback who's become a much better pocket passer in Jalen Hurts. Uh, so you feel like that's somebody who can work with a quarterback of multiple skill sets. So whether that means you are starting next year with Sam Darnold, whether that means you're getting some Matt Corral games in there, and whether that means you're drafting a quarterback, like I feel like Shane Steichen can work with anything. So he's he's my guy for them. I really like the turnaround they did with Steve Wilkes. I feel like if, you know, it is so hard for interim head coaches to get the job after. And like the only two on like top of mind for me 
that have happened in recent memory are like Freddie Kitchens and Jim Tom Sula. So it's, it's, you know, a real eclectic group of names to be a part of. But I like Wilkes. If they can get to Miko Ryans, though, I mean, like, this defense is nuts already. It's a good point. You, like, you got, you got Brian Burns, you got Shaq Thompson, you got a pretty good, like, set of secondary guys and, uh, you know, uh, who's it, Rocky, is it Rocky Sin, uh, the cornerback is now escaping my mind right now, uh, who was drafted, like, in the 2021 class. Uh, oh, J.C. Horn. J.C. Horn, yes. Uh, like, a really strong – and you got, like, you know, even guys – like, this front office has been able to find defensive guys off the street like a Frankie Louvu. I think they can really make massive strides if they go the defensive route. I think if – of any of these jobs, it, it, you know, if Ryan's prime candidate for all of these – I think he should go to Carolina. That's just like a personal thing. You know, Denver's the most appealing, but I think they go. I also think they stick offensive. We'll get to Denver next. But I think of these jobs where you have like pretty much a blank canvas with all the art tools at your disposal, Carolina's, you know, Carolina's calling your name. So I I don't hate either Wilkes or Ryan's for that. And in fact, I kind of want Wilkes to get the job because not only did he do a good job as the intern, but he was the coach who got completely screwed over by the Cliff Kingsbury hire in Arizona. So a bit of a full circle moment there. Be nice to see him get another legitimate shot at being a head coach. Um, I don't know. I just have this weird feeling that they go offense because uh, I feel like they have the defensive side of the ball somewhat figured out. Uh, and so does the Bron- so do the Broncos who we'll get into next, but I don't know. I just have this, this inkling based on nothing because I'm not an NFL insider, but I, I sort of feel like Carolina needs a little shot in the arm on offense. I, I agree, but I almost think they go the opposite direction where it's just like lean to your strengths. Like go like dance with the girl that brought you like, like really lean in to, you know, what you got on the roster already. Don't require a ton of rebuilding and do, you know, Defensive guy like that might bring in some experimentation on the offensive side of the ball. Might bring in a bit of a bit more of a, you know, experimental, you know, new agey hire. It'd be really interesting to see. But let's go to Denver because they're they feel like Carolina on steroids a little bit, where it's like offense was by far the biggest concern. Defense, re, like, was by far their strong suit. But at the same time, like, in the inverse of Carolina, like, rising to the occasion toward the end of the season, staying in that playoff picture, Denver, like, Denver's defense all out quit uh, toward the end there. Like, well, really, they a playoff shot like Carolina did. I know that, but they really, like, there's a difference between, you know, kind of going through the motions and, like, actively giving up, which I feel like Denver did at point down the stretch there. Sean Payton, top of mind there. D'Amico Ryans as well. Uh, they're also interviewing Dan Quinn, Jiro Vero, David Shaw, Raheem Morris, Jax. I can't, I I hope they go with Vero. I feel like this might be a Dan Quinn spot. <laughs> this is this is my D'Amico Ryan spot, actually. I really? he's going somewhere. I think. 
I think D'Amico Ryan sees this defense and thinks like I can win with just this defense and I can, you know, bring in someone or find someone to make this offense not the worst at scoring points in the league. Cause that's really all they needed. If this team had scored 19 points a game instead of 15 and a half, they're probably nine and eight. Like that's how close it was. And that's why it was such a disappointment. I get the impulse to like, look for an offensive guy to go with Russell Wilson, but they're pretty much only interviewing defensive guys, except for Sean Payton. And for some reason, David Shaw, who's been a bad head coach at Stanford for the last like four or five years. Um, I don't get it. I don't get why Shaw's even in this conversation. I, I don't either because I, listen, I, I grew up a Stanford football fan. I, you know, whether it was Toby Gerhardt days or Christian McCaffrey, Andrew Luck in the middle there, like I loved Stanford football. And for the past four years, I haven't even been able to watch their games. So David Shaw, like could have taken this opportunity four or five years ago, but not sure why he's a name that's in the discussion this time around. Would love to see uh, D'Amico Ryans take this job because I think this could be like a top two or three defense all year long if the offense is able to keep them competitive. And so you bring in, you know, some young quarterbacks coach to be a first-time coordinator who can like re-energize and draw more creative plays for a Russ Wilson-led offense. And I think you're you're looking at something pretty good there next year. My issue with the Avero hire, uh, or not the Avero hire, the Ryan's hire, is that, you know, guys borrow from the teams they came from. You look at the last uh, defensive guy to leave San Francisco and Robert Sala and how much he took of the 49ers offense. I don't think the 49ers offense works for Russell Wilson. I think despite the fact that we're saying that Denver will likely go defensive, I think you really need a commitment that no matter who you hire, in the same way that like the Cardinals need to go all in on Kyler, the Broncos really need to go all in on Russ. And it's the reason why I'm holding out that they might go offensive because you really need a guy to work a rust system. And I don't know if like a Shanahan-esque offense with how much reliance on over the middle balls there is. Uh, I don't know if, if hiring a guy who will likely pull from the Shanahan tree makes sense for a Denver team with Russ as the quarterback. We'll see. Uh, and, and this would have been my Sean Payton team. I just don't think any of the openings are good enough for Sean Payton right now. Like, I think, I think he was waiting out that LA job. Oh, you, you disagree. We'll see next team. Houston Texans. Yeah, no, I don't see it. They listen. Leadership guy, like a, a guy of the ilk of prior Houston hires who like, listen, there's only three guys in, in football right now probably only two uh, in Bill Belichick and Andy Reid who are capable of handling the general manager and uh, head coaching responsibilities. Like Peyton's one of those guys. I think they, in a culture shifting move, really try and bring in Sean Peyton, like a guy who can, Reinvent the team, really like expedite a turnaround. If the cost is the number two overall pick, I am much more hesitant to do it. But if the cost is like if they're willing to take 33 overall 
with a future third and like can get up in like the uh you know the spiel fits points chart and build a equivalent to a first round pick out of day two and day three picks or day two and future picks, then I'd absolutely lean paid because you got like this is again, this is all contingent on Texans still potentially having the number two overall. In that case, you've got, you know, at least one franchise tackle in uh, Laramie Tunsil. You got a rookie quarterback coming into the building. You've got some level of offensive talent in your running back room. I'd argue in your wide receiver room as well with Nico Collins being your headliner. You're going to get picks for Brandon Cooks when he is inevitably traded. I think Peyton's your guy. I think you've got enough on the defensive end talent-wise where it can be a secondary concern and you can trust that Peyton will bring in talent to that department. I think the Houston Texans are the only team in the absolute dregs of the league that really need like a defibrillator-level jolt. And I think Peyton is that jolt to a franchise basically on life support as is. Yeah, I don't think – I just don't think Peyton is interested in that kind of project. You He's know, actively mind. said, I will take the Houston Texans job. That is a verbatim quote. It's a verbatim quote. All right. I, I don't know. I don't know if they're willing to it, – it'll it'll come up, I suppose, to whether or not, like, they can put together a package for him that both teams are willing to live with. Uh, so from that, from that standpoint, like, if it works out from a transactional perspective, then I have no issue with it at all. Uh, this is my Mike Kafka team. I just think that I agree that they go offense and we've seen uh, what Dable has done to give a jolt to Daniel Jones this year, but people are starting to think like how much of a role did Mike Kafka have in that? I think some team goes, we are going to give Mike Kafka a lot of credit for it. And we think he can do the same for our quarterback, whoever that ends up being. Uh, And in the Texans case, that probably ends up being Bryce Young, maybe CJ Stroud. Uh, And I like, I like Kafka paired up with the rookie quarterback. I don't hate it. Uh, I definitely, I definitely see the vision there. I just, uh, I, you know, I think it's a difference between like, you know, doing some home renovations or gutting a house. (laughs) I think the Texans are in need of gutting a house. And I think Peyton's kind of the guy Kafka's just like, it's a little, it's a little too small for me. And just the scope of the project. I don't see, you know, like a what? He, he's what specific role for the Chiefs right now? A quarterbacks coach? Or no, he's a Giants offensive coordinator. <laughs> by the I way, he said he would, by the way, Peyton, still feel like he would, Peyton, Peyton said he would consider the Texans' job. He did not say absolutely. I will take it. He said ab, he said he will absolutely consider the job. Consider. Absolutely. What are you going to do if somebody say if somebody asks you on? national tv slash radio would you consider this job you're just gonna go no hey jackson eli manning (laughs) like it's like pull an eli manning draft card and just say i will not take this job people have done that like people have denied jobs in the past you're not gonna do that you're not gonna do that because then you lower your stock for other teams too your price is still high they've got to come get you let's move on to indianapolis this is the biggest question mark for me i don't 
I have no idea where this goes, so I would like you to lead on this because I am like this is a like this team's rudderless to me. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, it depends for me if you're going offense or defense. I have a guy picked out for each. If it's offense, I like Eric Bieniemy for this team. If it's defense, I like Ajiro Averro. Uh, like either way, it's gonna be like a younger first-time head coach. Uh, with a track record of success on one side of the ball. Uh, if it's defense, like you're you're betting that, you know, you can bring Shaq Leonard back and elevate this defense from like slightly above average to really good and win with defense. Or if it's offense, you're just saying like, we have a couple guys on the offensive line, some of whom really underperformed this year, Ryan Kelly, most principally. Uh, and we hope we can find a quarterback and build something. So I'll just lean like defense because that's a strength and it's probably a more attractive job for a defensive coach. Uh, so I'll go Bavero. I lean Morris on this. I think the Colts really are the ones that do a flip-flop. I think it's a best of both worlds situation. Morris has former head coaching experience serving as the interim head coach for the 2020 Falcons. He's been with the Rams for two years. He said star power. The Colts defense is really only equipped with like big names at this point. Shaq Leonard's coming off a bum season, but he'll be back fully healthy considering the fact he was shut down. You got a couple interesting pieces in there, uh, especially in that front seven. You've got like enough secondary talent to get by. I also think he borrows talent from a Rams system that's pretty much open season with regards to its talent willing to go out the door bringing in like i don't know a rams quarterbacks coach uh someone to run a mcveigh offense i think would be an interesting jolt for this colts team that's played pretty conservatively under frank reich uh not a ton of explosives and the explosives you do get are uh, you know, underthrown balls by Carson Wentz or, you know, some pretty tepid run quarterback stuff from Sam Ellinger. Uh, like, you're not going to get a ton there in terms of new age offense. I think you need uh, – it's it comes in partnership with a Chris Ballard where you are able to identify talent better. But I like Morris as a guy who can tackle sort of every need for this Colts team with, like, a bit of new age flair, a bit of veteran leadership, a bit of an ability to reinvent an offense, a bit of an, like a definite ability uh, to like master a defense. I think he kind of ticks a lot of different boxes for a Colts team that needs a lot of different boxes ticked, if that makes sense. I kind of like him as just a catch all for this Colts team. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of like the veteran version of my Avero pick. So I don't, I don't dislike it if you're if you're thinking more in terms of like someone with the experience, uh, not necessarily like a ton of great experience. So like the teams that he coached weren't necessarily kicking ass or anything, but I mean, I, he won I a Super like, Bowl. <laughs> he, won, he won two actually, but he won a Super Bowl with the Rams. I also don't yeah, see I mean, the I mean, it's side head of the Avero. Like like in terms of the offensive addressing, like where do you see that coming from the Avero side? Well, I mean. You're going to have to hire people, right? Like, it's not like Avero is going to address the offense. I get what you're saying where it's like, okay, we hire Raheem Morris and he maybe brings the Rams QB coach with him. We don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, 
So it's not like Averro has people in Denver who are going to be like hot offensive coordinator potential hires. But like, if you're in Indianapolis at this point, you're just saying like, we need, we need to completely overhaul the coaching staff. So I don't, I don't necessarily know that Averro needs to be responsible for that hire. Uh, and if he does, then, you know, good luck, <laughs> find, find somebody. I'm sure you can, you can call up some buddies and make some calls. Before we get into our playoff picture, we got a little bit of news that isn't coaching related, but is non-playoff team franchise related. Jackson, Washington Commanders owner, Dan Snyder, has reportedly announced that he will sell at least a controlling stake of the Commanders. This isn't a major update, but it is the most concrete and solid evidence we have gotten that Snyder will sell the franchise. The first round of bidding closed before Christmas. The high of bid was $6.3 billion. That is quite an evaluation for a team that will undoubtedly uh, need a new stadium in the mix as well. You are on for a hefty price tag. It is interesting to note that Snyder will likely, uh, there is a chance that Snyder is still within the organization in some capacity, taking some sort of uh, minority stake option if made available. But this is, Jackson, the most concrete reporting we've gotten that while we've gotten some, you know, information about potential suitors or, you know, potential organizational packages put together, of different people. This is the most concrete evidence we have gotten that the commanders will be under new ownership potentially by 2023. Yeah. I, we, we should note that uh, the commanders themselves are not commenting and there has been no announcement uh, per se by Dan Snyder that this is happening. This is original reporting done by AJ Perez of front office sports uh, whose sources say that the bidders who are jockeying for position, and they're around a dozen, uh, have been told that Snyder expects to clear the way for a new majority owner, uh, which to me is like, you know, if the bidders are hearing that, then they must be hearing it from Snyder. <laughs> uh, and apparently the other the other piece to the story is that uh, other owners and other uh, NFL execs are backing off discussions of potentially removing or voting to remove Snyder as owner, uh, because they now expect that he will sell. So that to me feels like we better continue to follow this throughout the off season. Uh, Cause at some point, like the shoe's going to drop and, and we're going to have a new ownership group in Washington. Finally, Jackson, before we get into our playoff news, let's talk about our friends at underdog fantasy. Play at underdog fantasy with us and double. Your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDER. Jackson, fantasy doesn't have to end the regular season. Because you can play best ball mania for up to a million dollars. That's how big their prize pool is, Jackson. First place, 200 rocks. Whoa. 200 big ones. That's a lot of money. Jackson, you don't even have to be that good. You don't even have to beat out all 43.2 thousand entrants into Best Ball Mania. Because if you, if you sneak in, Jackson, if you are better 
If you, it's basically one in six. If you are better than five sixths of that big prize pool that I just mentioned, you get to double your money. You get 50 bucks. It's a $25 entry. You get 50 bucks if you finish, you know, basically, you know, top six, uh, top sixth of the entire pool. Underdog. Jackson, I don't, I don't know if you know this. I got to let you in a little secret. Underdog is the fastest growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store today and use promo code OUTSIDERS to double your first deposit up to $100. Jackson's underdog pick of the week is Dallas Goddard. Hat tip to my friend Derek Klassen, who has been grinding tape all week on the New York Giants linebackers and says that they are terrible and therefore expects Goddard to have a playoff record performance for the Eagles at the tight end position. Oh, baby. <laughs> you can read more of Klassen's stuff, specifically the All-32, if you sign up for FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. That's five bucks a month, and you get every DVOA stat that we mentioned. You get all of our fantasy advice. You get all our betting advice. You get our exclusive write-ups like the All-32, like Mike Tanier's DVOA walkthrough. You also get our full catalog of, I forget if it were at 20 or if we're getting to 20 this offseason, but nearly two decades of Almanac material. You can also sign up for the FO Discord Talk Ball with us every single week, including these playoffs. But Jackson, let's get in to those playoff news. Let's start in Dallas. Bad, bad kicking performance by you know Brett Maher. <laughs> on Monday night, one for five on extra points. He missed, what, his first four? Or he missed three of his first four? No, no, he missed his first four. He missed his first four. Thank you. First kicker since at least 1960, Jackson, to miss at least four extra points in a game, let alone a playoff game. Thank goodness it didn't matter for him. But Jackson, Dallas holding on to it. Because he, outside of a little little slip up in, uh, in Monday Night Football in the playoffs, had been automatic prior to this season. Did not Pretty miss good. an extra point in the regular season. Uh, believe he had missed two field goal tries inside of 50 and was nine for 11 on 50 plus kicks was really strong for Dallas prior to Monday night. Do you like the move? I I don't like who's out there right now that you're going to be so sure about as a kicker, you know, like it's at this point in the season, Roger, Roger Sherman of the ringer had a good tweet about it where it was like, if you're the 33rd best kicker in the league right now, are you like kicking yourself at home going like, Oh, I waited for a job all year. And now finally this happens and it's too late to sign me. Like, I, I think the coaching staff is saying the right things uh, specifically special teams coordinator, John Fassel is getting real granular with it. Uh, he says, quote, I believe in the hot hand and I believe in the yips. Absolutely. And you know, you wonder sometimes how you get into the yips and you wonder sometimes how you get back into the hot hand. I think it's stepping up to the line and shooting that thing. Uh, I expect a hot hand coming up in terms of Brett Maher. So I like it. Uh, not doing the Ted Lasso, not afraid to say the Y word 
Uh, he says, you know what? My guy had the yips. He's going to overcome his yips. Time to make everything against the Niners. Yeah, it would have to be a full outside hire. Uh, they don't have another player on this roster who has kicked extra points or field goals. The closest you got is punter Brian Anger, who in his like eight years in the league <laughs> uh, has eight kickoff attempts, and that's really it. Let's move down to Cincinnati. Bengals and Bills get a chance to rematch and kind of make up for the game that was unfortunately deprived of us by the DeMar Hamlin injury. It's going to look a little bit different, though, because the Bengals could be down three offensive starters against Buffalo. Left tackle Jonah Williams dislocated his kneecap, and right guard Alex Kappa is nursing an ankle injury. Both were listed as questionable and were both labeled by Zach Taylor as week-to-week. Williams was unable to walk after the game without assistance Sunday night. And according to, uh, I believe it's Jay Morrison who covers the Bengals, week-to-week in Zach Taylor's terms usually means out this week, day-to-day next week. They're already without right tackle Lyle Collins. Dropping both tackles against this Buffalo Bills defense who haven't contributed the exact same sort of pressure without Vaughn Miller on the edge, but are still a formidable front seven and a formidable pass rush. Will be a tough, tough task for the Cincinnati Bengals offense, Jackson. Oh, yeah. Specifically, I think running the ball is going to be near impossible if you're missing three of the five guys that you started the season with on the offensive line. And a guy who you obviously have to respect the opinions of on offensive line play, Mitchell Schwartz, this week was saying on Twitter, like, this team is an example of why you don't just worry about who's going to start for you on the offensive line. You need eight or nine quality guys in the building because these injuries are inevitably going to happen at some point, maybe not all at once, as has seemingly happened to the Bengals. And this is a line that has improved throughout the year as they've kind of gelled as a group because obviously you brought in three of your five starters over the offseason. Uh, and they were, you know, when we lasted in an off- Bengals offensive line update, I think we were talking about like 20th in adjusted sack rate. They're now up to 15th. Uh, they've allowed the 11th most sacks during the uh, during the regular season, which is not good, but it's better than what Joe Burrow was seeing his first couple years in the league. Uh, so this, this hurts. Like, I think you're going to struggle to run the ball at all against Buffalo, and you're in danger of being sacked in some big spots, even if Buffalo's like, um, a slightly above average pass rush without Von Miller. Let's close out the show with Jackson. They haven't decided the games yet, obviously. The games have yet to be played, but the NFL is already on to the next round. Tickets for a potential Bills Chiefs AFC championship that would be held in Atlanta are already on sale. There's an exclusive pre-sale for season ticket holders on both teams with purchased AFC championship game tickets. That started this morning at 10 a.m. Interesting way to go. (laughs) I guess you kind of have to, uh, you know, assume or like just 
kick things off because most of these tickets would already be sold if they were played at their typical locations. But you got to do a little bit of extra planning now because the league has altered this schedule a bit. Uh, it is an understatement, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say so. Uh, this, I guess, is uh, like you said, something that had to happen. But boy, what what bulletin board material for the Jags and Bengals this week to say, "Wow, look at this, boys! The league is already assuming you're not going to be in that game next week." It reminds me of the Bill Belichick speech where he uh, talked the Patriots through the entire Eagles Super Bowl parade plan right before they played them in the Super Bowl in 2004. Like this is. Just lay it all out there. Hey, NFL is saying you guys are done, and, and we're playing this game in Atlanta next week. So look for look for either the Bengals or the Jags to crash that party. I I pick the Chiefs and Bills to meet in that game, but don't be at all surprised if there is indeed an upset. There's a the offensive line stuff really throws a wrench in the Bengals' plans. There's still a small part in me that like. There's always some weird stuff that happens in the divisional round. It feels like there's one game every year where it's like, how did that happen? How did the team that we expected to run chalk through the rest of the postseason uh, collapsed right there? The, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna outright say that it's always been that it's always been the Jaguars, but I'm close on knocking on that door. I'll leave it at that though, Jackson. That'll do it for us Giants. at the F. There is the Giants. But I don't know about that. Literally, <laughs> just picks against them and talk about how bad they were. So I don't know why you're knocking on that door for Goddard. Why did I do that? Goddard, you just said that the Giants oh. were bad on defense. Well, Goddard's going to get two touchdowns, and the Eagles are going to win twenty-one seventeen. Obviously, fair enough. Well, that'll do it for us, Jackson. As always, I'd like to thank our friends at Underdog. Double. Your first deposit up to one hundred dollars of promo code Outsiders. Want to again pump FO plus footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. You can also join the Football Outsiders Discord for a whole lot of football discourse. Jackson, thank you as always for co-piloting this new show at me and handling the turbulence that was a uh, a surprise Matt Canada uh, <laughs> rehire. So thank you as always for that. For Jackson, I'm Kale. We'll see you next week.